we uh, grab a seat here, we'll get started. Good to see you all this morning. Welcome to Hillside Community Church. A couple of uh, announcements for you all. Um, first of all, we do have overflow seating next door. Um, we took some of the chairs out. Uh, we had a bunch more chairs in here for the memorial service a couple weeks ago. We took some of those out, spread them out a little bit, but if it's still feeling a little too close for you, feel free to go next door. It's, uh, the service is running on a projector next door, and you can sit and spread out um, to your heart's content. A couple of uh, volunteer opportunities that we want to make you aware of. One is Operation Christmas Child. This is a, a big event in our community and a big event in the life of our church because Hillside is kind of the central collection place for Operation Christmas Child, so there will be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shoe boxes that come through here that get boxed up in bigger boxes and then sent down to the OCC warehouse. Um, but we need help with that. So starting on the 15th, which is tomorrow, um, we will be doing two hours a day for Operation Christmas Child pickup. And those dates are available in the Bible app, kind of on our virtual bulletin. They're available on the website. They're available in the weekly email. Or you can talk to Barbara Bond. I don't know if Barbara is here today. There she is back in the corner. Yep, Barbara is here. You can talk to her if you would like to volunteer. Um, but there's also a sign-up online that you can do to sign up for that. It's just a two-hour stint, and you're basically just collecting boxes, making sure the paperwork's done, and then putting them in the larger boxes in preparation for getting them shipped down to the warehouse. Uh, we could also use some volunteers for our snow shoveling crew, because um, eventually we're going to get snow. And we could use help clearing the sidewalks and some of the areas around the church. So what we do is just have a list of eight or ten people that are sort of on call. I text everyone when it snows and whoever's available. A couple people come out and do some quick shoveling um, during the week or on a Sunday morning. So if you're interested in helping out with that, if maybe if you live close by um, and you don't mind doing a little bit of shoveling every once in a while, let me know and I'll get your name on that list and we will uh, text everyone when we need some help. Um, also want to note that uh, youth group, Braden and Allie here, they are taking a break. Youth group's taking a break through the holidays, so basically they will start back up after the first of the year. So just pay attention to the website. Obviously, we'll be announcing that when it gets closer, but for the next um, five or six weeks or so, there will not be any Wednesday night youth group. Um, there is going to be probably a Christmas party of some sort, so just look for the details on that again on the website, and there'll probably be an email or something to follow up with that. Um, our prayer night is this coming Wednesday, and that is the third Wednesday of every month. Uh, we do that with the prayer group, and we do meet here at the church, typically down in the basement here. Um, so you're welcome to come join that in person. Any, any and all are welcome to that, and you're also welcome to join via Zoom if you would prefer. So just let us know, and there's information on the website about getting that Zoom link. So again, this Wednesday night at 6.30. And also, for anyone that's interested in receiving prayer today... Um, our prayer group is active and available. They will be next door in the coffee shop in the back room behind the barn doors right after the service. So that's a nice quiet place to go if you just need some prayer. You know, this can be a crazy time of year. There's just a lot going on. And sometimes you just need a little, someone to be praying with you or for you. So we encourage you to take advantage of that. And then lastly, just want to mention children's ministry is back in full swing. Um, so right after this worship set, um, kids can be dismissed. You can go out to the lobby if you're not sure where to go. Take your kids out there to the lobby. We'll have people out there that can direct you to the right classroom. Um, but we do have um, nursery available and uh, preschool and kindergarten through fifth grade available um, if you'd like to have them go to uh, Sunday school. So let's uh, go ahead and pray together 
as we uh, go to worship. <clears throat> Lord God Almighty, we uh, just thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your name. And as we go into the Christmas season, Lord, it can be a frantic, stressful, trying time. But Lord, just we pray for peace in our hearts. Uh, we just pray that you would get us into the right Christmas spirit, the spirit that, that celebrates Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, we just pray for your blessings on our time this morning. We pray for your protection. And just pray that our, our hearts would be open to whatever it is you want to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Let's stand and worship the Lord today. Three. 
Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I Move for good, for 
conquered death And the death rose from their tombs And the angels stood in awe For the souls of all who come To the Father are restored And the church of Christ was born praise you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God, we don't want to take that for granted. God, your presence is the best place we can be. God, we thank you that we get to just delight in your presence and delight in who you are. So God, we worship you today. We thank you that we get to declare that we believe in you that we praise you. So Father, be glorified today, here and now. I just pray that you would speak to our hearts. Um, just be our peace. God, we love you. It's your name we pray, amen. You guys can be seated. Amen. Thank you to our, our worship team. That, uh, that, song's pre that song preaches the gospel more than a lot of words can. <clears throat> it's just an amazing, amazing song. So thank you guys for sharing that. Just a reminder, we are dismissing kids now after that first worship set. So if kids, if you guys want to go to Sunday school, you can head out to the lobby and uh, join the classrooms. All right, we are going to uh, continue our study in the book of Galatians this morning. 
And the book of Galatians basically reminds us as followers of Jesus Christ to embrace the simple gospel. That's really the key. And that's really what that song was all about. It's about the simple gospel. And, and the passage that we're going to cover today is, I think, one of the most profound declarations of the simple gospel in the book of Galatians and in the New Testament overall. But before we go there, let's pray. Father, we do just come before you with uh, anticipation in our hearts, just to hear from your word and to hear from your heart. And Lord, we just pray that our time this morning here would glorify you, that this message would illuminate your word, and that we would leave here edified and encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. As a father and his daughter were getting ready for church one day, the the young girl looked up at her dad and says, Dad, why do we have to dress up for church? And her dad responded and said, Hon, well, we dress up for church to show God that we have our act together. And the little girl looked at him and said, You know, he knows we're lying, right? (laughs) I I mean, I think, you know, that's a story that probably hits close to home for all of us because how much of what we do is done to show God that we have our act together. And how much of what we do is done to show those around us that we have our act together? See, I think we do a lot of things to show that we have our act together or to convince God that we are worthy of his love and his favor. But we never have to do that. Because we are not saved by our good works. We are not saved by our good behavior. We are not saved by our adherence to a set of rules. We are not saved by having our act together. We are saved by faith. And that is the message from our passage today. We are saved, we are justified by faith, not by works. Now, our passage for this morning... is found in chapter 2 of Galatians, verses 15 through 18. But I want to go back a little bit to the passage that Dan covered last week, um, verse 11, just to kind of establish some context. It says, When Cephas, also known as Peter, so when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, this is Paul speaking, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. We, who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be 
a lawbreaker. Now, in this section of the book, we see Paul relaying to the churches in Galatia details about his dispute with Peter when they were in Antioch. You see, Peter had begun to separate himself from the Gentile believers there. And consequently, he had begun to separate himself from the true gospel of Christ because he and other Jewish Christians were now expecting Gentiles to follow Jewish customs in order to qualify to become followers of Christ. So you can see the kind of burial, barriers and, and hurdles and obstacles they were putting up. And in Paul's mind, this was hypocrisy. Because on one hand, Peter was preaching justification by faith. Oh, I can just sit right there. Thanks, bud. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. <laughs> but on the other hand, he was promoting justification by works of the law. And this hypocritical behavior was causing division in the church in Antioch. See, the church leaders had always taught salvation by faith alone. And the church in Antioch had become a model of fellowship between Jews and Gentiles. But now that fellowship was being threatened by these new rules and these new um, emphases on the law. So Paul was rebuking Peter for complicating the simple gospel message. And Peter was, in effect, forsaking the simple gospel message by reverting to this works-based salvation. Now, the reason that Paul was relating this story to the churches in Galatia was that this is the exact thing that was happening in their churches as well. A certain group of Christians, or excuse me, Jewish Christians, known as the Judaizers, had infiltrated the church, and they were convincing the Gentiles that they needed to be circumcised and adhere to other aspects of the law before they could become Christians. In other words, they were complicating the simple gospel message. Now, you might be asking, why does this apply to us today? I mean, none of us, or very few of us probably, are at risk of being pressured into following the Old Testament law in order to gain our salvation. That's just not something that necessarily happens in our world. But we are at risk of falling into a pattern of works-based righteousness instead of faith-based righteousness. And we are at risk of falling into a pattern of belief that we can somehow earn our salvation, that we can somehow earn the affection of God through our good deeds and our good behavior. And we are at risk of expecting good works and good behavior from others so that they can earn their salvation. And so we too are at risk of complicating the simple gospel message. And that's why this message is so important. So let's dig in, starting in verses 15 and 16. And actually, I'm going to go back and include verse 14 just to kind of get the gist of what Paul was saying here. So again, when I saw that they, speaking of the Jewish Christians in Antioch, when I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul is reiterating to the churches in Galatia what he had said to Peter in Antioch. And in his rebuke of Peter, Paul acknowledged their shared heritage, 
when he says we who are Jews by birth. And he also acknowledged the contrast between the Jews and the Gentiles when he said, and not those sinful Gentiles. Now to our ears, that kind of sounds like arrogance or maybe even bigotry or racism. But, but in the context of the day, it wasn't necessarily any of those things. It was simply that the Jews believed they were righteous because they had the law. And the Jews believed the Gentiles were not righteous or sinners because they didn't have the law. It was as simple as that. But let's be clear here. Paul was not saying, not implying in any way that the Jews were free from sin. In fact, if you look at the law, if you look at the majority of the law in the Old Testament, a lot of it dealt with repentance and forgiveness and, and atonement for sin. The point he was making here is that he and the other Jewish Christians had realized that the law was not enough. And they had moved beyond the law to faith in Christ. So he's really contrasting what the law has to offer to what Jesus has to offer. So going back to verse 14, he's basically saying, why would you insist that these Gentiles follow the law in order to become Christians. It's absurd. It's completely illogical based on the simple gospel message. Now, verses 15 and 16 really contain the heart of this passage, and I believe the heart of Galatians and the heart of the, the, the gospel message overall. Now, when we are interpreting the Bible, for those of you that have been through our, our classes on how to study the Bible for yourself, this will be familiar, but repetition is one of the most important indicators of what an author is trying to convey, what they are trying to emphasize. And it's interesting because Paul basically says the same thing in this passage three different ways. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. We too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So we can see here that this idea of justification by faith is central to Paul's theology here, and we see it throughout all of his letters. Now, within this passage, there are three significant terms or phrases that, that as I was reading through it and studying through it this week, I really felt like we needed to unpack them, that we need to understand them in more depth, because there's sometimes that they're misconstrued at times. One is, what does he mean by the term justified? Two, what does he mean by the phrase works of the law? And three, what does he mean by the phrase faith in Jesus Christ? So the first thing we need to look at is the term justified. Now in the church, we're pretty familiar with this term. I think we use it a lot, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page. In legal terms, justification refers to a judge declaring an accused person not guilty. It's the opposite of being declared guilty and being condemned. Okay, they're freed instead of condemned. Now, in biblical terms, justification refers to God declaring a sinner not guilty on the basis of faith. So, biblically, justification is a free and gracious act by which God declares a sinner right with himself. So, it's a free gracious act on God's part to declare a sinner righteous. Forgiving, pardoning, restoring, and accepting them on the basis of nothing but trust in his son, Jesus Christ, and his work on the cross. Okay. So to be justified 
is to be declared righteous. To be justified is to be saved. Through your sins, you are condemned. But through your faith in Jesus Christ, you are counted as righteous and holy in God's sight. You are made sons and daughters of the king, literally heirs of God himself. And your standing before God is made the same as that of Christ himself. You are justified. Just, as, just like Dan said last week, it is just as if you had never sinned. And this is a gift of divine grace. You can never become righteous. You can never be justified as a result of your own good works. Which leads to the next phrase that we need to unpack, which is the works of the law. Now, this phrase, works of the law, can refer to different things in different contexts. It can refer to the general idea of being good or doing good, kind of good works. It can refer more specifically to doing the will of God. Or it can refer very specifically to the law that, gave to is- that-, that God gave to Israel through Moses, as we see in the Old Testament. And in Paul's writing, works of the law usually refer to this last category, the law that God gave to Israel through Moses, also known as the Mosaic Law. And ultimately, God's point here, or excuse me, Paul's point here in his other letters, is that no one can find salvation through keeping the law. No amount of law-keeping can make a person righteous. Because the root of sinfulness is in our heart, not in our actions. Hence the focus that that Jesus places in his teachings on the heart and the motives of our heart. We see that in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus taught that a person who hates inwardly, who calls his brother fool or raka, is guilty of murder whether or not they ever took another person's life. And, And a person who has immoral thoughts about another person is guilty of adultery even if they've never committed the physical act of adultery, because it's all about the heart. Our basic problem is in what we are, not in what we do. And going back to Genesis 3, humans have inherited this sin nature, and these sinful acts that we do are just an outward expression of that inward sinful nature. So consequently, no amount of works of the law can save a person. Because even the best of what we do cannot change the fundamental nature of who we are. So only faith in Jesus can bring a person the kind of righteousness that leads to forgiveness and salvation. Now the third phrase we need to unpack here is faith in Jesus Christ. And this phrase seems pretty simple in English. It seems in in the English translations. But as it turns out in the original language, it's a little bit ambiguous. And the phrase can be translated two ways. It can be translated either the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, or it can be translated our faith in Jesus Christ. So the preposition is what's ambiguous there. And in a sense, both of these work. These are not contradictory ideas, even though on the surface it kind of feels like an either or. We are saved by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross. And we are saved by our faith in Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross. But this can lead to a little bit of a confusing position. If it's Jesus' act on the cross that saves us, then really there's not much we can do. If it is our faith that saves us, then we start getting on that slippery slope of getting into a works-based righteousness. Well, 
Well, if, if I have to believe, then isn't that a form of a work? And it can lead to kind of a, a confusing position. Now, in my studies this week, as I was reading through one of the commentaries, I came across this illustration that really kind of nails it down and helps us to see this as a both-and proposition and not an either-or. So imagine you're up here on the mesa right behind us here, um, and there's two rock climbers that are climbing together. Okay. One of them falls. <clears throat> And that, that, that climber falls, and, and that climber is going to die if he's not rescued. Okay. The top climber, the one who's still on the face of the rock, drops a rope to save the other climber. The bottom climber responds and grasps the rope. How is he saved? Did, did his grasp save him? Or did the faithful work of his rescuer save him? It's kind of a both and, right? No matter how strong the rope is, if we don't grab it, we can't be saved. And no matter how strong our grasp is or how hard we try, if there's no rope, we can't be saved. So our salvation is based on both the faithfulness of Jesus Christ and our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in this particular context, I think it makes the most sense to read it as it's been translated here, our faith in Jesus Christ referring to the response that we have to what God has done on our behalf through the cross. And so faith in Jesus Christ means believing and accepting and trusting that Jesus was God. This gets back to the song we just sang, that Jesus was God, that Jesus came to earth as a human, that he lived a sinless life, that he died for our sins and that he rose again. That's what we have faith in. That's what we trust in. That's what we accept. That's what we believe. And it is that faith in Jesus that reconciles us to God and opens the door to eternal life with him. Remember, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, to be clear, this faith in Jesus is not just a one-time belief or kind of intellectual consent because you heard a really good sermon or, or, or someone, it just spoke to you. It's not a one-time thing. It is an ongoing trust and commitment to accept Jesus as Savior and submit to him as Lord. Again, at both ends, there's an initial point where we are justified. There is an initial point where we accept Christ as our Savior and we are justified. It is just as if we'd never sinned. And then there is the ongoing act of sanctification where we grow and become more and more Christ-like and continue to show our trust in him. So we are justified by faith in Christ and we know that works, and in this case, specifically keeping the Old Testament laws, could not, cannot, and will not save us. But thankfully God has provided a way to salvation that depends on Jesus and not our own efforts. That's what makes Christianity different from every other religion, is it doesn't count on our efforts. Let's move quickly through the rest of this passage, verses 17 and 18, and this is where it gets a little bit difficult at times. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Now, Verse 17 kind of gets back to this idea of fellowship between Jewish and Gentile believers. There's a lot of different ways this passage has been interpreted. And I read a number of different commentaries this week, and I saw a lot of disagreement here. But I think if we keep it in context and look at the previous paragraphs, it kind of helps us to understand or limit the interpretation. 
So this gets back to that fellowship between Jewish and Gentile believers, which was what caused all of the fuss in Antioch. There was a freedom that came with being justified in Christ and not by the law. There was a freedom for all the Christians to fellowship together, whether Jew or Gentile. And Paul's point here is that if the Judaizers, those that were demanding they go back to the law, were correct, and they believed that salvation was gained in some small part because of the law, then the Jewish believers themselves had fallen back into the category of sinners because they had eaten and fellowshiped with the Gentiles, which was prohibited by the law. And if it were true that they had become sinners again by fellowshipping with the Gentile believers, then Christ himself had promoted that sin. That's Paul's argument here. And that's why he says absolutely not. Now, how did Christ promote that sin? Well, because Jesus clearly taught that anyone who followed him, all who follow him, are one with him and one with each other. He broke down those barriers between Jew and Gentile. So if the Judaizers were right that adhering to the law and, and, and about adhering to the law and avoiding contact with the Gentiles, then Jesus was wrong and he was promoting sin. That's his fundamental argument here. And to that, Paul says, absolutely not. That is clearly not the case. And then in verse 18, he wrote, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. And you're just like, what's he talking about here? But the doctrine of justification by faith destroyed the Jewish merit system with all of its laws that attempted to gain favor with God. So to be justified by faith and then return to that legal system, to revert to that system, to go back to it as a basis for one's relationship with God would be an attempt to rebuild what had been destroyed. And this is what Peter had been doing in Antioch. By pulling away from the Gentiles in fellowship and allowing himself to be influenced by the Judaizers, he was returning the law to a place of authority that it no longer held. Jesus had fulfilled the law. And Peter was, in effect, trying to rebuild what had been destroyed. And, and basically saying that Christ's death was not enough. So according to Paul here, the real sinner, the real lawbreaker, is the one who returns to the law as a means of salvation after being justified by faith. So how does all this apply to our lives today? Now, as I said earlier, the main theme of this passage is that we are justified by faith and not by works. Now, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have never committed your life to him, I want to ask one question. Why? What is it that is keeping you from that? Jesus died so that you could be forgiven. Jesus died so that you can be reconciled to God. Jesus died so that you can have eternal life with him. And it is a free gift. It comes with no conditions. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yes, there's rest in this life, but there's rest for our souls in eternity with him as well. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you can't earn your salvation. It's yours freely, though, through Christ. 
All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is accept and trust that. So again, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, ask yourself, why? What is it that's holding you back? What barriers, what obstacles? I had those. Up until my early 20s, when I became a believer in my early 20s, I had obstacles. I had arguments. I had barriers. I struggled with things intellectually. I struggled with things I grew up in in the Catholic Church. I, I really wrestled with stuff. But eventually those things, due to some friends that were discipling me and other factors, they, God broke that down and, and, and brought me to Jesus. So if you have answers to that question of why, if you have something in mind that this is what's sticking in my craw, this is what I just don't get, I really have a hard time with this, or I don't believe in a God that would do that. If you've got to answer that question, come talk to me after the service. I'd be happy to just talk through that with you because I know how difficult it can be to have those challenges, to, to kind of have this inkling of belief or this glimpse, and, and you're starting to get it, but there's still these things that are just weighing on you that you've got to get beyond. If, on the other hand, you do have that relationship with Jesus, if you've accepted him as your Savior and you trust him as your Lord, then know without a doubt that you are justified. And remind yourself of that on a regular basis. You are not justified by works. You are not justified by your good behavior or by being a good person. You are not justified by having your act together. You're justified by your faith in Jesus, period. And you need to live accordingly. You've been justified, so act justly. You've been forgiven, so forgive others. You've experienced God's love, so love others with that kind of love. You are saved by grace, so extend that grace to others. You were saved by the simple gospel, so share the simple gospel with others. And stop putting a bunch of baggage or conditions on it. Just like the Judaizers believed that Gentiles had to follow Jewish practices before becoming Christians. We sometimes put conditions on people as well. We sometimes expect people to clean up their act before coming to Christ. We expect them to stop whatever sin it is that they're entangled in before coming to Christ. We expect them to have their act together, right? But in reality, none of us can do any of this on our own. And we need to meet people right where they're at, and we need to bring people before Jesus just as they are. Now, the last point I want to make here is that Paul was not against good works. That's a really important point here. A lot of people look at Paul's writings, and then they read the book of James, and they see, see, the Bible has all these contradictions. Because Paul says it's only by faith, and James says faith without deeds is dead. Well, they're not contradictory at all. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul wrote, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So he's not against good works. He was just concerned about the motive behind our works and what was driving our works. For Paul, faith was more than just an initial act of belief. And he saw, and you look throughout his writings, he saw that belief and obedience are tied together. You can't have one without the other. And good works are important in the life of a believer. But good works should be done as a result of our faith, not as an attempt to gain favor with God. So that's what James is saying. 
Faith without deeds is dead. If you have come to faith and yet there's no change, there's no fruit, there's no transformation, there's no difference that you can see from last year or five years ago or ten years ago or however long it's been, then you got to question that faith a little bit and maybe rethink it. So it's not that deeds lead to faith, it's that faith leads to deeds. In other words, the motive behind our works should be from salvation and not for salvation. It's that simple. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the simple gospel message of grace and justification by faith. We're so thankful, Lord, because if it was up to us, we would fail miserably every time. So we're grateful that Jesus did the work for us. That Jesus was born, lived, died, and was raised from the dead so that we can be justified, so that we can be sanctified, and eventually that we can be glorified with you in heaven. We thank you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you hear the, a song title like 17 times in a sermon, you probably should do that song, so. Um, we're going to sing Simple Gospel, and we've sung this plenty of times, and I love that uh, uh, faith does not, uh, what, did, what did you say, works? Yeah, you said it. <laughs> but faith, uh, works doesn't give us faith, but faith gives us works. Kind of good enough. And... Uh, um, so this gospel is, is very simple and uh, we don't have to earn it we just have to run hard after Jesus and uh, that's what this song really the, the basis of this song is just just wanting to know Jesus more because when we know him more those things, those works will flow out of us. So let's, let's sing this together. I want to know you, Lord, like I know a friend. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you, Lord, like I know a friend. I want to know you, Lord. Lay it down. So I'm laying down all my religion. I'm laying down. I want to know you, Lord. I'm laying down all my religion. I'm laying down. I want to know you. box you but I'm laying down I want to know you 
Your face is all 
sing a new song um, and this song is just a continuation of that um, laying down our religion but it takes the next step and it's saying shake up my religion break down my walls I love how um, just that symbolism of, symbolism of us building up different things building up new conditions we have these walls around us because we can't quite comprehend God's love and we can't quite comprehend what he did for us and so we build it up and we say no this is this is actually what it is I have to look like this I have to do this um, but like we just say we want to rejoice that it's not like that it's simple and um, I just want this song to be our declaration because we say I'm laying it down. But sometimes we just need to be shook up. We need to be slapped around a bit. And so we're going to sing this. Um, just continue to lay it down. Just come as we are. Um, lay all of our burdens, all of our doubts. So we're going to sing this.
So do it heavy you want to. So do it heavy you want to. We will, we will make room for you. So do it heavy you want to. So do it heavy you want to. We will make room for you. So do it heavy. to lay every burden at your feet. Come as we are, and not with this pressure of coming as we should be. God, we thank you that we get to live in your simple gospel, in the truth that you died for us. We get to live in your grace and as your children. thank you for that. We don't praise you enough for that, God, but we praise you today. We thank you um, that we were justified, made just as if we never sinned. We're going to sing one more song. This song is just a celebration of what we're talking about, celebrating the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom that we have being justified, and as we are children of God. And so let's stand. Um, this song, I really want it to be a celebration. So again, if you want to jump around, dance around, <laughs> we're going to end with this one just declaring um, that we are his children and um, the freedom that we have and that nothing can change that. So let us sing it.